All right. All righty. So uh, let me open in prayer tonight, and then we'll discuss why we're doing this and what this is going to look like. So let's go to the Lord and just ask for His uh, presence to minister to us tonight, touch us, and uh, to increase our fellowship and unity together. And so, Father, we just come before you, unifying our hearts, our minds, our spirits. We we thank you, Lord, that we get to do this. We get to call on your name. We get to worship you. We get to gather as believers. And so, Father, we're thankful that your presence is here. We're thankful, Lord, that you're touching us and ministering to us and increasing uh, unity and fellowship and, and just increasing our relationship with you, Lord. We want to be intimate with you tonight. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We're just praying, Lord, that tonight as we uh, just hear from ministries and, and see all that we're doing uh, and all that we can do, Lord, that you would just lead us and guide us, that you would uh, use us, God, to push back the kingdom of darkness, to advance the kingdom of light. And so, Father, we're thankful that we are your agents, that we are on mission, that we are not idle, we don't sit by, we are not passive, but that we are going out and we are waging war in the heavenlies. God, we are pushing back the darkness. We are rescuing people from the grips of Satan, and we are uh, adding to the kingdom. And so, Father, we're thankful, Lord, for your hand upon us, leading us and guiding us. Thank you for your favor, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight, um, this is a fifth Wednesday, and so we decided to start something new, and that is on fifth Wednesdays, uh, there's a three or four a year, uh, we would like to take time to bring missions updates. Um, we, as you have known, we have always are talking about missions and how we uh, give to missions, how we want to do mission trips and are doing mission trips, how we you know, support some 60 different ministries and mission, missionaries out of the tithe and uh, the, what you give is, is tithing. And so we take 12% of that and give outside these four walls. And so we want to uh, not only just say those things, uh, we don't, uh, also we don't want this just to be a transactional relationship with different uh, ministries and missionaries outside the church, uh, but we want this to be relational. And so we want you as um, those who are sending, that's what you're, you're, you're doing, you're sending these missionaries. And so the Bible's clear in Romans that uh, how are they going to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, unless somebody goes? And how are they going to go unless they're sent? And you guys get to send those people um, and so we, uh, we're uh, just grateful for a church that uh, rallies behind the heartbeat of God, and that is missions and advancing the gospel and the kingdom. And so, um, so we're going to do our best to schedule these out well in advance so that we can coordinate with the different missionaries and ministries to get them here. And, and as you know, as we support a lot of overseas missionaries, they're not always in the States. And so we've got to work around their schedule and, and try to get them in. And so, um, so some, some of these Wednesday nights, you might have, you know, nobody that's overseas missionaries because nobody's on the field uh, or they're all on the field and they're not home. And so we're, we're, we're going to do our best to uh, coordinate that well in advance. And so uh, the next one of these will happen in January. Uh, so the way the calendar falls is kind of uh, close together. Uh, but then after that, it's on into the summer before we hit another fifth Wednesday. And we've already got those two working on those those two dates and getting that all planned out. Uh, but the why behind this is so that you can build relationships with those that you are already supporting financially uh, and that you can uh, pray for them and you can meet even other needs. As you hear from them, the Lord might put on your heart to meet other needs versus just 
taking a percentage of, of your tithe and sending it to them. The Lord might, might put it on your heart to partner in other ways. Uh, and so we want to uh, provide an environment, a space for you to be able to do that. And so um, tonight, what, uh, who you're going to hear from is you're going to hear from the Warrior Center. Uh, and uh, Kells is going to come in just a moment, introduce himself, tell you all about uh, them and the Warrior Centers, what they're, what they're doing um, how, what God's done this past year, what He's going to do, how we can pray for them, how we can partner even more with them, meet tangible needs that they have, uh, because this is a ministry that's in our back door, backyard. I mean, this is just south of us here um, in Como, right, Como, and um, and so and some uh, ministry that we've been supporting and will continue to support because they're doing a good work, and uh, and so we want to hear from them. And then also, Pastor Mike will bring a Thailand update. Uh, as you know, Pastor Mike went recently to the Thailand. Uh, with the Thailand team to, to Thailand, um, and so he can bring us a very good, accurate report of what's going on there and what the needs are going forward and how we as a church can rally behind that, and so we get to do that. There will be time of, a time of question and answer for both of those, so for the Warrior Center, if you have any kind of questions, also for uh, Thailand, um, and then once you ask those, those questions, we'll repeat those in the mic so everybody can hear them, and so uh, so bear with us on that, and then um, and then we will close out like we do every Wednesday night with prayer around our table, uh, sharing the needs, sharing what's going on in our life and, and, and what God's doing in our life or what we're believing for him to do. And we're going to lift each other up uh, before we get out of here. So uh, without any further ado and without so I can stop rambling, we are going to invite Kells on up. Is, is anybody coming with you, Kells, or just you? Just you. Hey, that's all you need. Y'all give it up for Kells as he comes. Hey, good evening, guys. How are y'all? My name is Kels Lucius, and I'm with the Warrior Discipleship Ministry uh, outside Como, Mississippi. Um, you don't know where Como is. You may know where Cenotopia is. Uh, uh, so we're about 35 miles south of here. Um, again, I am with the Warrior Discipleship Ministry. And as I was um, thinking, Mike asked me about a month ago uh, uh, to come speak tonight to let you guys know kind of who we are, what we do. Uh, and kind of a vision of where we think God's taken us. And uh, as I was thinking, I had this something planned to, to say to kind of explain how what we what we are. And it's amazing how God works. I kept looking at our at our uh, a battle verse, and it's, yeah, there's some flyers here on the back side too. Y'all can pick up when you go. But I kept looking at Jeremiah 29:11, and and I kept thinking of uh, the whole chapter of Jeremiah 29. And and you know, Jeremiah 29:11. It's a beautiful verse. One of the most famous verses that everyone knows in the whole Bible, right? It's, it's, it's that verse of promise, of hope that Jesus gives all of us, that God gives all of us. But the backdrop of that story was absolutely nothing like that, right? Uh, uh, it was it was this hopelessness. It was where, where Jeremiah, God has spoke through Jeremiah and trying to give people hope where, where at the time they were in, in a mess of idolatry, uh, 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 paganism. Uh, they've been taking slaves where God used King Nebuchadnezzar to come take them and enslave them. So well, you find this gorgeous verse that's so much full of promise and a sign of hopelessness, right on the verge of hopelessness. And I started thinking, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. Uh, Warrior Discipleship Ministry, we're a 501c3 uh, uh, nonprofit. We take in men who have all fought different strongholds in our life, uh, whether it be addictions, uh, 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 alcoholism, whatever it may be. Uh, but what we, what we teach and what we show is that what we fight is, is not just an addiction problem. It's not an alcohol problem, not a drug problem, not a pornography problem. 
It's a sin problem. Sin problem, guys. And there's only one way that you cure sin, right? That's, that's believing in the blood of Jesus Christ. So when our guys come in, we do see that hopelessness uh, that, 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 that you have. I, I know this because I, I was one. I was one back a few years ago. And we put a Bible in front of them, and we love them. And we let Jesus Christ go to work. And it's a beautiful thing uh, to get to watch Jesus grow uh, in each one of these guys' lives. Warrior Discipleship Ministry, we were uh, John Edmonds. You may have known John. I know a couple of y'all do. I saw Mr. Frank walk in. A couple of y'all do. John Edmonds and Kelly Edmonds actually started the program in 2013. Um, and I keep Mike's mentioned the Warrior Center. I know Pastor, Pastor Mike they mentioned the Warrior Center. Uh, we're not actually affiliated with the Warrior Center in Memphis. Uh, uh, when John started it, John was actually a pastor at Life Point in Tunica. And uh, at that time, John was going up and spending a couple of days a week with the Warrior Center uh, of Memphis. Uh, with Mr. Vincent there, kind of learning the, how they did things. Uh, John had never done this before. He saw a need for it there in Tunica. Uh, y'all can imagine uh, what he saw in Tunica with the casinos and, and being a pastor there, uh, the hopelessness, that, that the sin that it bring, brings on people. So uh, he was going up there a couple of times a week. Uh, at that time, uh, God spoke to him, and uh, he really believed he needed to do something on his own. So we built a house in Cenotopia, or he didn't build We actually... Uh, bought a house in Cenotopia, Mississippi, <coughs> inside city limits. And uh, from what I understand uh, at that time, and just like a lot of the c- cities around here, uh, uh, when you're considered a rehab program, uh, they, don't, they won't let you do stuff inside city limits. So they were asked to leave. Uh, in 2017, um, we bought some property, actually, with some, uh, with some supporters we have that are here in this room, actually, and supporters that we have that are bigger supporters that are part of this church. Uh, we're able to uh, get some land, about 10 acres, outside Longtown, Mississippi. Um, and we took an old house that was falling in. And uh, John likes to tell the story. The house was kind of like we were when we come into this program, broken down, falling in, hopelessness. It hadn't been lived in in 40 years, and, and they gutted the house. Um, a year later, uh, we had a man uh, likes to drive big red trucks around uh, this area. Uh, he, he came in and said, okay, we got to do something more. We haven't got enough room. So in 2017, they added on to our, to our house. Uh, we can, right now, we can hold up to 12 men, uh, not comfortably. Right now we have eight, and uh, I'm full. I'm full. And that's hard sometimes. It hurts. Uh, I've got, right now we have uh, multiple people that are trying to, trying to get into to our program. Uh, and let me, let me back up a second. I said rehab, and... and earlier, and we are not a rehab. Uh, we, I hear that a lot. We are not a rehab. We are not clinical. We are completely Jesus Christ-centered. That's it. That's it. Uh, we don't believe in a, just to come in and rehab somebody. I don't believe in coming in and just getting you sober, all right? I believe you believing in something, believing in Jesus Christ, and the sober part is just a byproduct of what happens to you when you are washed with Jesus. So that's so. I just want to throw that out there too. I, I, some the guys when they first come in too, you'll hear them introducing themselves to different people, <coughs> and they said, "Oh, we're, I'm in rehab. I'm in this." And I was like, "No, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're in a ministry. Our ministry is built and made and designed to do what it's supposed to do, and that's to build disciples of Jesus Christ. These guys don't know it when they first come in. I didn't when they first come in." 
But they surely, they start to, a few months in, later, they start figuring out it's not about their sobriety. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about growing the kingdom. These men, they can go places. They can talk to people. They can do things with people that most of us can't, most of y'all can't. And that's what we do. A perfect example. Back about, uh, I don't know, three years ago or so, I had a friend of mine. She, she was in a small town in Yazoo City, and, uh, and, and, she, and she called me, and, or I was talking to her on the phone, and, and she said, Kel's coming up to the Delta this week. She said, uh, she, said I, she, she cursed him. She said, I have a sorry meth head uncle. And she stopped, and she apologized. And, and I said, don't, 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 don't apologize. Well, what they were doing, they were coming, this man had been married 30 years to his wife. He got addicted to meth. They had three daughters. They were coming in up to move the daughters and her out, okay? And, and I remember telling the man at the time, Amanda, I said, y'all are doing the right thing. That woman does not need to be with him right now. Those two daughters, three daughters do not need to be with him right now. The church is doing the right thing by going in, getting that, the daughters and the wife out. I said, what about him? What do we do? We sit back and just let him die? No, that's what we do. That's what we do. So when you wonder what we do, we go in and save the ones that, or put Jesus Christ, allow Jesus Christ to work in the ones that most people can't. My guys are here tonight. Again, I have, uh, we have eight of us. Um, I'm going to call out their names. I know they don't, they don't like it. I, we were all missing one tonight. He had to work elsewhere. <coughs> I've been saying that I have a small house, a young house. And when I say young, not age-wise, but, but, but I have a bunch of guys who came in all the same time this time, okay? I have Isaac. Isaac, some of you guys know these guys from D-Walk. <coughs> we have Julian. We have Ty. He's the youngster of the bunch. We have Mark. He's the elder all the way around of the bunch, except me. I got him beat. Got Ashton. We got BJ. Uh, and we have Briar, who's not here tonight. Uh, and, of course, Mickey, she's not at the house, but uh, she's become such a big part of what, of what we do uh, every single day. Um, a vision. I was asked to talk about vision. Mike and I were talking about this earlier. Y'all want to know kind of... Uh, uh, what happens when y'all support us. It's not easy. Okay, let me put it this way. I could come and talk to you about Jesus all day long, every day. And if any of y'all ever spoke to me, y'all know that. When Mike asked me to come talk, tell about the Warriors, that's easy too. And I know it's uh, here we're talking about, I say, that's not me. <laughs> we're talking about giving, right? And where your money is going to. Uh, any money that you would be giving in the future where it's going to. Um, let me tell you where it's, what it's going to. It's making disciples. My vision, our vision right now, this program is a 13-month residential in-house program, okay? Ministry. Um, where we slacked in the past and where we're moving forward to is transition homes. It's, I, what I've seen is guys come in for 13 months and we're putting them back out in the same spot, in the same place they go. And uh, that doesn't work. It doesn't work all the time. Uh, what I'd like to do over these next six months, over this next year, is to add some transitional homes for these guys. When they do finish, they have a safe spot. And, but, but to be able to do this, to be able to do this, we have to replicate what we have in our own house, right? We have to have the leadership of the own house. 
And what I believe, and I was telling Mike earlier, what I believe today, what we have, I have that. We have that now. Uh, uh, we have that with these guys sitting in front of them. I told them that today, that, that, that we as a ministry can move forward and can make steps forward to truly make true disciples of Jesus. Because I, I hate to say it like this, but, but to, some, to come, come in and have somebody stay with you 13 months and then pat them on the back, back and say, go get them, Tiger. Y'all already know, right? Y'all already know. I grew more, my time in the program, in the ministry, I grew more from the time, I think my 13th to 16 months in the program, or maybe, honestly, three years, uh, the last three months than I did. It's, it seems like I tell the guys, every two months you grow a little bit more, you get a little deeper, and I think it's because you have more time for Jesus to work in your life. So our vision is transition homes over this next couple of years to make sure when we're sending these guys out that they have a, they have a purpose. Uh, 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 they have direction. Because there are a lot of them like me. When they, when they came in, uh, they had no purpose. They had no direction. They didn't know what they wanted to do, where they wanted to go. Well, I mentioned Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> I love Jeremiah 29, 13. And if you all know what I'm going to say, it's, it's, I think it's the heart of that whole chapter. And it said, when you seek God, you shall find him when you search for him with all your heart. With all your heart. That's what these men learn to do every single day. We're very simple. We're not clinical. We don't show you steps. I teach them. We teach them the word of Jesus Christ. When they first come in, they start out with a boot camp learning the gospel. From there, we, we, have, we have multiple multiple series that we do. Uh, uh, we started Kingdom Man a couple of weeks ago, but we just kind of slacked off there. Uh, right now, uh, they started this week, just letting you know where, where we are this week, uh, in the parables of Jesus. Uh, there's 46 different parables that Jesus gives without the Gospels. Some of them are replicated on that. So what we've done is, is, is every day they're, they're studying each parable that Jesus Christ uh, gave, and then we discuss those and, and really find the meaning, what our Savior tells us to do, how to live, right? So that's how we change. By knowing the word, where they can adapt to it, and they can go out there and they can teach it. They learn to pray with people. They learn to love each other. That's hard to do sometimes, right? I live in a house with eight men. Eight men. Eight men. I've been there for over three years. I don't think I've ever seen anybody raise their hand to each other. Not because they didn't want to, trust me. Uh, it's because when you come into the warriors, when you're like me, you come in broken. You come in broken. When you think about prayer for us right now, you know, Mike asked, what do we need? Um, prayer, lots of prayers. Um, it's Christmas, the holidays are coming up, right? A lot of these guys are away from their families. I can try to be hard sometimes on them and, and, and say, come on, man, you, weren't, you didn't give a mess about your family when you're out there on the streets or doing this or doing that, whatever, right? In all honesty, it's not true. What these guys are going to experience over these next couple of weeks, few weeks, month, uh, they, they, get, they, they got emotions now they haven't felt in years. They haven't felt in years. And don't let them, and they're sitting back there, I shouldn't even say it, but they are going to need your prayers because they are going to feel stuff that they haven't felt in years. So that's prayers over the holidays, just for the strength, the strength to put Jesus inside of them, that only Jesus can give. 
That's what we need the most of. That's what we need the most of. Um, financially, for the giving, uh, there are some brochures. On when you walk out the door, we do have on each one of the tables here. There's a QR code that goes directly to our website um, that you can give there. Uh, my name's here. Of course, our address, our mailing address. Uh, you can send donations there. Uh, that's uh, in Sanatobia. Make those out a Warrior Discipleship Ministry. Um, again, I know we've, we've said Warrior Center a couple of times. It's it's not. It's Warrior Discipleship Ministry. Um, except you're, when you look for us on Facebook. It's kind of confusing there too. Isn't it? Was Warrior House on Facebook? That's how you give. Um, it takes money to do what we do, uh, to run it. At one time it took, and I don't know the figures now, but it costs about $1,400 a month to house, to house the men. We have a gorgeous property. We have a gorgeous home. Uh, gas money getting back and forth. Y'all know what, y'all already know, right? Y'all already know. Uh, food. Uh, my grocery bill just about every week. Um, and, and we're not buying meats and that kind of stuff, just, just basics. Uh, and then I think my grocery bill is about $150 a week, uh, which is pretty good with eight men, right? Uh, yeah, we, we're, we're part um, of a couple of food drives that we work. Uh, we work a big one at Christ Church in Bartlett, uh, and they've been so good to us, and they're part of the Mid-South Food Bank, and we go up there and work it the third uh, Saturday every month. And, and, and because of that, uh, we, we have more meat than you can imagine on stuff like that, but the milk, the bread, um, as you can see, these guys aren't skinny. I don't want them skinny. I made a joke with Ty tonight. <laughs> I made a joke with Ty tonight. Uh, Ty at one time weighed 260 pounds. He's been here a little over a month. He's going for 290 at least. And you know something? I love that. I love that. I weighed 148 pounds, 150 pounds when I walked in the program a few years ago. I'm a solid what, Mark? You're alive. <laughs> and I love every pound of it, let me tell you. Every single pound of it. I don't want my guys skinny. Because, see, our guys, when they're skinny, it ain't good. It ain't good. They eat a lot of sandwiches, lots of bread. Those are some of the tangible stuff. Some of the major things that I'm that I'm working on, and and I won't take much more time, Mark. Uh, um, I mean, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, we're working on some things in our house. Uh, we have a gorgeous home. We are having some flooring problems. That's where some of the money will go over the next year. Uh, we're having some flooring issues, uh, on some settling issues in our house itself. Uh, we are in the need of a a, a truck, a work truck. Uh, our work truck has 400,000 miles on it. Um, um, that's something else. And when, when I say a work truck, let y'all know. We serve, okay? We serve. Uh, uh, and going back and forth here, um, we do all kinds of stuff. Uh, we cut grass. We, we cut trees, depending on what people need and where they are and who they call. Some, some months, I have more than we can do. Some months, uh, we don't. Like this month, I don't have a whole lot. But uh, uh, we, we go out and, and, and do all kinds of stuff. We can paint, depending on the men that we have here uh, with us. Uh, last year, we had some guys who were very good doing tree work. When the storms came in last year, we cut trees for months, for months, uh, to help support the ministry. Uh, um, right now, I have a very d diverse group on what they can and they cannot do. 
uh, um, uh, matter of fact, I think with the group we have now, we can just about build a house if we, if we wanted it. And that depends on, on what we have. So y'all keep that in mind also. Uh, um, we work. <laughs> we work. We have a, a restaurant. Um, it's called Fresh Garden Market. John opened uh, in, in, in Sinatobia. Uh, now with the restaurant, um, the restaurant's completely different from us. We are, we, are, we, are, we are not the same thing, the restaurant and the ministry itself. But John's restaurant does help support us. Uh, uh, there. Uh, so we have every now and then we have guys. Briar worked tonight. He's not here. He had to help close tonight. Uh, he was in the restaurant. So there are, there are a lot of different things that we do. Uh, this weekend, uh, for example, we're going to work a physically challenged disability hunt uh, at Arca Butler uh, for physically challenged. Work, work, a, work a hunt there. We're speaking, going to see another church on, on Sunday. Um, I am starting to ramble. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I was asked when I came to tell you who we are, what our vision was, and where your money's going. Your money's going to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's where your money's going. Your money is being put into a ministry. It's taking men who had lost all hope in life and we're giving it back to them through the blood of Jesus Christ and they're going back on the street in your community and they're preaching something hmm, more than they ever knew they could. That's what we are. That's what the warriors are. Thank you for your time. If you have any questions, ask any of these guys. Mike, thank you. Thank you. Just so you guys know, I think he's only like four or five days out of surgery. But he was not going to miss his opportunity to come here and speak to you guys tonight. Yeah, uh, Pastor Michael said that, you know, was talking about we've got, um, we're, we're you know, working on scheduling. Actually, we are scheduled all the way through September. So I can tell you that in January we have... Um, we have missionaries that we support that are actually in from Austria. They'll be here in January. There's also another uh, missionary that we support that's actually local here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, his name is Lee Watson, and he is actually the AG missionary to the state of Mississippi for foster care, and he works in the uh, legal uh, realm. So in other words, he's actually pushing uh, legislation inside the state of Mississippi to uh, get the state to release their claws off of the foster care here in the state of Mississippi to where uh, the church can come in and, and be a lot more involved in that. So that, that's what uh, that's what you can look forward to for next month, um, actually in January. So <clears throat> after that, you've got a uh, we've got a missionary from the Delta Initiative. Uh, his name is Daryl Worley. Uh, for those of you that were that have been here when we've talked about the Delta Initiative, there are 34 counties in the state of Mississippi that do not have a single AG church in them. Uh, those 34 counties probably have a thousand people total in them, I'm sure, you know, because of the, all the farmland and everything of that nature. But 
uh, the Assemblies of God has put forth a tremendous effort to open churches in those counties over the next uh, few years. And so uh, he's actually going to be here to actually share with you on that. So, so let's talk about Thailand. All right. Um, I'm going to get really real with you. And if there's anybody underage in here, Tammy, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is actually going to be PG-13. So it's not, it's not bad. I just want to look around the room. All right. So I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I've been here for 24 years. Um, Bobby, how long is the, how long has the mission been going on to Thailand? Since 05. All right, so Tammy and I have been here for 24 years, and however long the mission has actually been going on, it's 25, so you're talking 18 years. Um, I've never had it explained as to what is the why. Why, why, are, why are we sending people to Thailand to ride bikes across Thailand? Uh, why are we sending, you know, so much uh, resources and, and things of that nature? So, I want, to, I want to let you know that when I came on staff, I was so excited because I was finally going to get to go to Thailand and I was going to get to see why for myself. And then COVID hit and I couldn't go. And so uh, I don't think a mission trip has actually been there since 18. Is that correct? 19? All right. So it's been uh, since 2019 since uh, a mission trip from this church has actually gone. So when Bobby came to me this time last year and said, that uh, he was ready to go, and uh, we started putting the trip together. I was no, there was no way on earth I was going to miss that. I wanted to go. I wanted to see it for myself, and I wanted to. I wanted to see the why. And so that's what I want to share with you guys tonight. Um, as we were going through this whole process, you know, uh, my mindset is, is you know, we're going to get to see people along the way as we're riding bikes up up through the countryside and we're going to, we're going to witness to these people. We're going to share the gospel with them and they're going to come to Christ. It doesn't work like that there. And so that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, so I was very skeptical of the, um, the actual trip itself and the ride portion, but especially the ride portion, because I didn't understand, I didn't understand why you did it. You know, I'm thinking the whole time I'm sitting here thinking, if you're going to spend 10 days in Thailand or 15 days in Thailand, why don't you spend all 10 or 15 days at the children's home? Well, I'm going to break it down for you here today. So uh, what is the purpose of the, uh, the ride portion and why fly halfway around the world to spend five days riding 500 miles? Why not just spend the entire time at the children's home? Why spend the money on the ride? Why not just give the cost of the ride to the home? And why do we need to even go to the home? Because I, I never really, I never, I never knew all the details around that either. Uh, why travel so far? And what is the purpose of all this? So, in order to understand the why, you have to actually understand that Thailand is a Buddhist nation, and you know, we we go into foreign countries and we do we you know we 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 look we expect to have opposition, but. When we started this process, I started really researching what does it actually mean to be a Buddhist. And um, luckily, I had a particular missionary call me out of the blue one day uh, in December of last year. His name is Mark Doreen. Mark Doreen has been a missionary 
in Thailand for over 40 years. He actually spent from 2012 to 2017 uh, as the head of all of uh, the Asia Peninsula. And so he's been the main missionary over five countries in the Asia Peninsula for, for from 2012 to 2017. Started this conversation with him. He and I would chat back and forth across uh, um, instant message and things of that nature. I, we would talk every once in a while whenever you got to keep in mind he's on the other side of the planet. So we're having to work around that. Well, just one day I'd called him up and I said, hey, I need a resource that I can actually give to my team. He says, well, great, I got a book that I wrote. He sent me the book, or actually he didn't send me the book. He told me what book it was and I went and bought it myself. Bought the book, gave it to our whole team. Well, I read the book. And so some of the statistics you're gonna hear here, some of the stories you're gonna hear here actually come from the book. Some of them actually come from the missionary uh, that actually started the home. His name is uh, Terry Waisner. Uh, because we met Terry Waisner while we were there. And some of the stories are actually going to come from the pastors that are on the ground there. So um, in Thailand, you have 76.6 million people in Thailand, 70.5 million, which is 92% are Buddhist, 4.14 million, which is 5.4% are Muslim, 1.7 million, which is 1.4%, consider themselves as other or nothing. And only 919,200, which is 1.2% of the entire population of Thailand, consider themselves to be Christian. So if you guys want to put that into perspective, Miss Jean, you're the only Christian in this room. Could you imagine that? How alone they are on that continent? They have thousands of gods and demonic influences that they worship. It is normal for an individual to worship either several hundred or even over a thousand idols, gods, or demons. They collect trinkets and re that represent their gods, and they lay out food and drink offerings to them every single day. Literally, while we were there, I saw people in restaurants and in homes and uh, just they would have like they'd have like a little shelf there and they'd have idols up there and you see them sticking food up there for their idol they're taking care of their idol they do these things to appease the demons that they believe own the land and the homes that they actually live in when you walk past a yard or into a home or a business you can see the idols staged all around and they spend all day worshiping worshiping them and bowing down to them Buddhists believe in karma, enlightenment, and reincarnation. Their version of karma is that whatever happened was supposed to happen. They believe that your karma is based on how good you were in your previous lives. So if you were good in your previous life, you're probably doing pretty good in this life. If you're having a really bad life this time, you were probably pretty bad in your last life. That's their belief. <laughs> If you're suffering in any way by being poor, crippled, or mangled from birth or an accident, it's your karma based on how awful you were in your past lives. This belief, uh, they believe that this so much that if you're involved in an accident or in a physical danger or in physical danger, they are less likely to help you because it is your punishment for what you did in your past lives. Here in the United States, somebody has an accident, we all run to help. That's not the case there. We see somebody struggling on their canes or 
their 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 crutches or on their wheelchair uh, will run to open up the door to let them in. Not there. I will tell you, Bangkok is a city of 18 million people, and I actually mentioned this while we were there. I saw one crippled person. So I asked the missionary about it. I asked, I said, where are all the people, where are all the handicapped people? He said, they don't let them out of the house. It's their punishment for whatever they did in their last life. Their entire belief structure is based on an ideal of enlightenment. An idea of enlightenment. They're based, they based, they are basing their eternity on their own good works. They expect to live through hundreds or thousands of life cycles to achieve a better life than the last one until they get it right and they're finally enlightened. They believe that once they die after finally living the perfect life, they will finally become enlightened and spend their eternity as a spirit floating around in the cosmos as part of the universe. Their belief in reincarnation gives them a false sense of hope and another chance to get it right. They believe that if they live a good life, you will be reincarnated into a better life when you die, meaning you will be richer, healthier, more powerful, or more spiritual in the next life, therefore being closer to being enlightened and having enlightenment. Their belief is that if you are bad in this life, you will be reincarnated into a worse situation. In this case, they believe a person can be reincarnated as an animal, bird, fish, bug, or plant until you hit rock bottom. Therefore, most of them, they will not kill anything because it might be their brother Bob. However, if you kill it, they'll eat it. They'll eat Bob. Their belief structure systematically devalues human life so that the individual means literally nothing to anyone, including themselves. They don't even value themselves. They believe a person has an unlimited number of lives to get it right. Therefore, this life means nothing. If you are suffering, it would be better for you just to start over. If this life has been bad for you, better luck next time. If this life has been good for you, your next life should be better. Buddhists believe that they are born into Buddhism. They believe that they are born a Buddhist like a Jewish person is born Jewish. However, it is not a lineage or a national right, a national birthright. Because there is little to no outside influence, they know nothing else. It is completely cultural. Because of their belief in karma, enlightenment, and reincarnation, reincarnation, there is nothing in Western Christianity that translates well. Every Buddhist thought pattern is exactly backwards to the way that we think. If I were to use John 3, 16-17 to share the gospel with a Buddhist, for God so loved the world, their response will be that God must not be enlightened because He should not need to love you or to receive love from you. That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They don't want everlasting life. They want to get out of this life cycle so then they can get on to the next one and so on and so on until they become closer and to be enlightened and then... So they want they they literally they do not like the idea of everlasting life. It's like the worst thing that they can possibly imagine. If you tell them that Jesus died on a cross for their sins, then that was his bad karma and his punishment for 
the way he lived in his previous lives. It is interesting that the one thing that they don't have an issue with is that Jesus could be resurrected from the dead and is alive because they believe that they that we have all been reincarnated over and over and over again. So they don't have a problem with Jesus being resurrected. If you ask them to pray to God and ask Jesus to come into their heart, they will do it happily. They have no problem praying this prayer because they want to add Jesus as another God or an idol uh, to worship and to protect them. They will pray, but they will not easily make him the Lord of their life by renouncing all other gods, demons, and idols. But you know, Exodus 23, 20 and 3 says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. The average length of time for a Buddhist to come to a genuine saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is seven years. It takes seven years of constantly living a Christ-like life and witnessing to them before they will renounce their other gods. So why go for a 15-day mission trip? What can you possibly accomplish in a short-term trip when it takes seven years to win someone to Christ? In the Assemblies of God as a missions agency, we believe in the importance of the indigenous missionary, meaning that our purpose and goal as a church is to send people and resources to foreign people groups to reach, train, disciple the local pastor to spread the gospel among their own people. Church planning, orphanage care, developing school programs allow the local indigenous pastors to be the blessing to their communities that they need. Our role as a mission-minded church or a mission team in Thailand, like any other place, is to send, to go, to support, equip, love, and minister to the local indigenous pastors and missionaries. To show them that we do love them, that we care for them, and that they are not alone. It's an effort to come, it's an effort to come alongside them to show them we do care about the issues that they are dealing with and the hardships that they're facing so here's the why of the bike team the bike ride from bangkok to shanghai is not so much about the many encounters with locals that we find along the way it's about spending five days investing in the lives of the seven young men from the children's home that came down to bangkok to travel back with us on bike just taking the time to show them that they are loved and that uh, we care meant so much to them. For them to have people returning year after year to invest in their situation and to spend time with them, just encouraging them and helping them with the challenges was so awesome. It is a way to show them that they are important and that God loves them and that they are not alone. It's about long-term relationships or mentorships and discipleship. Let me tell you something. Terry and Bobby are loved by these guys. There's no doubt in my mind that they have a long-term relationship with them. These, guys, these young people, they clung to them while we were there because they've lived that life before them year after year after year after year. They, you know, they, they're friends with them on Facebook. They talk to them year-round. Um, that's discipleship. 
It's about long-term relationships and mentorships and discipleship. It opens doors for new experiences and encounters that they will never have had in their hill tribe villages. So let me tell you something. We went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. We literally flew 9,000 miles around the world to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and uh, Jacob, my son, he's like, why are we going to Kentucky Fried Chicken? All this Thai food everywhere. These guys right here never had Kentucky Fried Chicken. This is the greatest thing on earth. <laughs> so we would eat Kentucky Fried Chicken with them during the day until we'd eat Thai food at night. <laughs> Things like that. So it was about opening up a door to experiences for them, things that they don't get to do. Um, you know, uh, just the fact they don't have the resources to to ride these kind of bikes that these that, that the ride team has left there over the years. I don't have the resources to ride the kind of bikes that these guys have left over there over the years. But these young men, they have them. All right. <clears throat> so if you'll look, we've got we've got a couple of pages. This is actually the first the first photo. That's the back of the truck, and you see Terry back at the very back by the bikes. He's uh, got his thumbs up, letting us know the bikes are okay. But uh, these are these are some of the guys. There's, of course, there's guys actually in the cab of the truck. Somebody's got to drive it. And our driver was uh, this big guy right here in the yellow shirt. Uh, that's the only picture that I could find of him because he was always driving the truck. <laughs> so, um, the next picture below that, that is actually, I think that was our last day with them. Um but that was the day that, that uh, there was a ceremony to let them know just how much that they were appreciated uh, for. Because not only did they ride the 500 miles on bikes, they worked. They made sure that, they made sure that uh, Jacob and I didn't destroy their scooters. Um, they made sure that when we got a flat that they, they had the flat fixed. Uh, they made sure that all the bikes were up, you know, kept up. They made sure that uh, everybody that was riding a bike had plenty of bananas to eat and uh, uh, all kinds of, I don't even know what they were drinking, uh, but they had all kinds of protein things that they drank the whole time. And these guys really, really took care of the, the actual riders. Some of them were actually part of the riders and they, they switched it up a little bit. So the next page is, um, for those of you who know my son, Jacob, he's very quiet. He's not very quiet in Thailand. <laughs> Um, he fell right in line with these guys right here and he had the best time. And, uh, I, I'll tell you that I believe in that little circle right there, there are lifelong friendships. Um, I mean, he just, he, he just fell in love with these guys and, and uh, they just had the best time. All right. So these young men, plus the other 105 children at the home would not stand a chance without the children's home. While we were there, there were 112 children at the home. Most of these uh, children are hill tribe children from Thailand, Laos, Myanmar, formerly known as Burma, and China to the north. These children have been rescued by the home from civil war in Myanmar, tribal wars uh, among the hill tribes and drug lords, human trafficking, and being born in prison. Because of the human life is so so devalued in the region, the slow and the weak are sometimes left behind when running away from war or the drug lords. Parents sometimes run for their lives and leave their children to suffer 
their own karma and their own fate. So many children are left behind that the drug cartels sweep them up and make drug mules out of them. They literally give them backpacks full of drugs and tell them to take it to Frank back there, and Frank's going to give them a piece of candy. And if they get killed along the way, who cares? There's a hundred more right there. The drugs are more valuable than the child. Some of the children are trafficked, the more desirable ones. They build makeshift tin shacks, and they put the, the average children in them, and they charge the equivalent of between 50 cents and $1 to sell them over and over and over until their bodies give out. And then they throw them away and get another one. The more attractive children, they demand a higher price. And if they're old enough, they're given a paying job at the casino. They become accustomed to the money and to the party lifestyle working at the casino for about a year before they stop getting paid in money and start getting paid in drugs. Once they're hooked on drugs, they're trafficked about a year until their bodies completely give out and then they're thrown away and they're replaced. Without Shane Ride Children's Home, all of the children that have been rescued throughout the years that would have been used as drug mules until they were killed or would have been trafficked until they were thrown away like the trash. This next photo, <clears throat> the young man that's actually uh, driving this scooter with Jacob there, this is David. Uh, he, he was a member of our support team and at 18 years old, uh, I found him to be a great leader and very well respected among his peers. And I mentioned that to Terry. I was like, I really like that kid right there. And he's like, what kid? <laughs> and I told him, I said, David. And he said, oh, okay. And, and anybody that knows Terry, when he says, oh, okay, and he does that, there's something more to the story, but he's not going to tell you. <laughs> so <clears throat> we get to the children's home, and we've, we've been at the children's home for a couple of days, and uh, Terry Waisner, the, the missionary that uh, started the children's home, I was talking to him, and he was telling me about this snot-nosed little kid with his gigantic head and his big eyes that was born in the prison, and uh, they were about to throw him out. He was 18 months old, and they didn't want him, and nobody wanted him. So they actually went down to rescue him. And I was like, well, I said, well, whatever happened to him? And he says, well, he's right there. And it was David. It was the kid that I told Terry what, you know, was a natural born leader. So David was rescued at 18 months after being born in prison. He and his people were so hated that his birth certificate has only one word on it, and that's Burma. Miramar had not been called Burma for over 15 years before he was born. So they didn't even care to actually spell Miramar out because Burma, I guess, was easier to spell. The children's home not only rescues these children out of the most disgusting and dangerous situations, but it raises them with Christian values that they take into the world when they grow up. These kids age out at 18. If they were released into the public to fend for themselves, they would be preyed upon by traffickers because they are a better product. They're much healthier, easier to sell. Therefore, once they turn 18, they can go to college or they can move on to adult buildings uh, at an adult building at the home while they work in the city until they get onto their feet and, and they can make it on their own. 
if they comply with the home's rules, they can stay there until they're about 24. Not only has this home rescued so many children over the years, many of these children at the home uh, have graduated and gone on to college or they've built businesses. I was able to meet Tip in uh, Bangkok, and Tip is only about, I don't know, three foot nine. Oh, she's not very tall, but she's a doctor. Is that right? Yeah. So Tip is a doctor who was on a team that uh, did the uh, research and development of a COVID-19 vaccine that was, served wor that was sold worldwide. So she's very smart. Uh, the Shanghai, in Shanghai, I met uh, Samsak, who grew up in the home, and uh, he had been around with Bobby and them for years and years and years, and he just loved Bobby uh, when he came around. He's an adult now, and uh, he's built a very successful construction company that is building very modern homes and commercial buildings, as well as designing and building a new 60,000-plus square foot sanctuary or church for the Children's Home Foundation at material cost. Gary Fowler? Their material cost is $10 a foot. So how on earth they're building a 60,000 square foot for $10 a foot? I have no idea, but they're doing it. All right, so on the next page, this is Juka in the green shirt. This is the funniest thing in Thailand. Uh, he's just a great, great person to be around. Uh, Juka was a, a member of our ride team, and he's graduating college in just a few weeks, like December 11th, I think. Yeah, he's, he's graduating college in uh, December the 11th. Uh, because he has no citizenship, he will never be able to leave the area. He cannot leave Shanghai. He had to have a pass, I guess, to come down to Bangkok to come with us. Uh, he has no citizenship anywhere. The young people use the bikes and the gear provided over the years by Ride for Him to race in local bike races in Thailand, and they seem to be doing very well. Uh, they, they, I will tell you, one of the guys, his name is Tien, uh, he's a little tiny thing. Uh, he literally rode every single mile of the 500 miles at the front of the pack. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, Bobby might get out there or Terry might get out there, but they didn't stay out there for long. These young people are influencing their nation for Christ in education, in areas of higher learning, the medical field, the marketplace, and in comp competitive sports. If you look at this last page, I didn't count how many kids are in here. Not all of them actually came to church that day because I saw some of them outside. Um, but this was this was our Sunday there, and. Uh, these are the people in this photo. These are the people that will be the missionaries that will win. They'll win their nation for Christ. It's not us. It's not us. It's our job to do everything we can to make sure that they have the opportunity to do so. They need our support. And that's all the why that I need to get behind this mission. You know, there's a lot of things that I do. I tell everybody, I said, everybody should do that. I did it. It was great. Going to Thailand is not one of them. I think everybody needs to pray about going to Thailand. But you need to know that you need to go to Thailand because that trip, that physical trip will actually, it, it'll put a hurt on you because it put a hurt on me. But I'm going to tell you something.
I've been here 24 years and y'all know me. But I saw things there that just broke my heart. There's a reason for us to be there. You guys have any questions? Yes, sir. Yes. See this shirt I'm wearing? The darkest color on this shirt, add a little red to it. And that's what color the red is coming. That's what color the, the, the water is coming out of the ground. I don't know how old their water filtration system is, but it is complicated. Um, it looks like a tremendous amount of work. They've actually upgraded one end of it. They've, uh, they've upgraded the final point um, to where it's stainless steel and it doesn't need as much labor as the, the first stage. But I think there's like eight stages before it gets to that. What they have to do is about every month, they have to literally get in and dig out uh, thousands of pounds of sand where the water has trickled down through the sand and turn the sand from sand to rust. So they have to pull that rust out. All that rust is actually in the water. All that iron's in the water. And they, they pull that out and then they, they dump it across the fence over there. So they have a pile of basically iron, sand that's basically turned to iron out there. Um, even in the nicest hotel that we stayed in in Thailand, the water was yellow. I have a picture of it. Like, you know, if anybody wants to see it, I'll show you later. But this particular water at this home, there is no way on earth you could drink this water coming out of the ground. There's no way that anyone in this room needs to drink this water once it goes to the filtration system. Um, I don't know how long their filtration system is going to last, uh, but I, I will tell you that's, that's probably a project that uh, will be something we'll talk about in the... Uh, uh, the next year or so is trying to raise money for that. Um, they've got another issue is uh, they're they're at, they're actually out by the airport. They're they're just a little bit out of town, but they're they're kind of like on farm. You know, it's out in the middle of like some farmland, and uh, their power goes out a lot. You know, it, it monsoons there, so when it rains, the power goes out. Sometimes their power can go out, and it'll be out for a week at a time, two weeks at a time. Well, if they've got no power, they've got no water no matter how dirty it is. So um, they're looking into uh, possibly putting in some solar panels. And, uh, you know, that might be something that we, we might look at over the next year or so, or two years. But it's, it's, a, it's a long, it's going to be, you know, those are going to be some long drawn out projects. Um, that's not something that we could actually take a team, like say for, we might could actually take a team over and help out with a filtration system. Uh, but as far as the um, solar solar panels, if they if they go the solar panel route, that may not. Know, I don't know that we could take a team over there because I don't know that we have the technical skills to do it. But you know what we can do? My God owns the cattle on a thousand hill, and we could pay for it. It's a whole lot cheaper to get a technician in Thailand than it is to get one in the United States to go over. But you know, that's that's just something that we'll be looking at. Did that answer your question, Terry? Okay. Any other questions?
Well, the okay, so the the mayor of Chiang Rai is married to the ex governor of Chiang Rai uh, province. Okay, and uh, he played the the uh, the uh, pastor there. Support he and the mayor are pretty good friends. Um, I don't think there's any real there's no real pushback on them being Christians or anything like that. They just don't really do anything to help them. Uh, first of all, here's here's a, a very significant problem. All these kids that are there, none of most of them are not orphans. You know, they just they come out of situations where if the children's home didn't have them, uh, they would they would probably be uh, killed or trafficked or whatever in the area that they live in. Uh, so that sometimes their parents will actually bring them to the children's home. These kids do not speak Thai when they come there, for the most part. Some of them, you know, they're there for a while before they can even speak the language. Um, so there's no government assistance because these kids are not Thai in a lot of cases. They're they're from Laos, Cambo uh, Laos, I guess sometimes from Cambodia, but Laos, um, Myanmar, and sometimes China. Every once in a while, somebody from Thailand. But they don't have citizenship in most cases, um, so they're not going to get any kind of support from from the government. But, you know, they 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 kind of let them they kind of let them do what they do and just don't give them a lot of hassle, but they don't do anything to help them financially. Just so you know, um, they have a school there and we went to the school. They told us what they feed a child on lunch. It's the equivalent of 13.8 cents a day to feed a child there at, at that school. Uh, I will tell you, they eat a lot of rice. I don't. I think every meal we had had rice in it for 15 days. So, except for well, the K no, the KFC had rice too. Yeah. So, so yeah. All right. Yes, ma'am. Just cast you out. Yep, you're you're, you know, go make you know go go do whatever you got to do to survive, and that's no, no. Now if they're if they if if they, you know, you got to keep in mind when you throw somebody when you throw somebody into the gutter, um, you know, their chances of survival are are slim to none anyway. So, but these are people that these are people that they're their bodies have been so abused, their minds have been so abused, uh, their spirits have been so abused, and then all of a sudden, you know, they don't have anything left. Because I will tell you, um, it, it's not costing me anything to sell you. And I'm gonna get every I'm gonna get every cent out of you before I cash you out. So there's not much left. It's very heartbreaking. We go. They go to the home, okay. Uh, the church is capable of handling and covering its itself. Uh, the church. So there was, there was a time where Cornerstone Church actually helped the church launch uh, and helped do some of the, uh, pay for some of the construction and things of that nature. But the money that we send 
uh, we send directly through Terry Wiesner, who is the, we send it through the Assemblies of God. So there's a, there is a paper trail, uh, but uh, it goes through Terry Wiesner to get to the home. So that's because, let me tell you, and I don't understand this, I don't understand why this is the case, but the children's home, even though it's an aging home, it doesn't have a, a, uh, a account number. Who said that? Account. Yeah, it doesn't have an account number. Um, so therefore, I can't actually go in and say, Chingrai Children's Home, we're going to send X amount of dollars, and it's going to go straight, it's going to flow straight to them. Uh, for years, we were giving to uh, Asia Peninsula, which is actually responsible for all five nations there. And we, on our paper, it actually said Asia Peninsula, Chiang Rai. And so we just assumed that the money was automatically going straight to Chiang Rai. Now, I've talked to Mark Doreen, who was over uh, Asia Peninsula, and they were sending uh, $5,000 a month to Shanghai from Asia Peninsula. So yes, the money was getting there in a roundabout way, but now it's, it's, you know, it's as straight as it can go. Other than what we did, we literally took 20, after paying expenses for some of the things that we did with the kids on, on the, uh, at the actual home, uh, I, I can, I can show you the receipt and I can show you the video where we slid 21,000 us dollars across the table to the, uh, to the children's home. And so just to let you know how significant that is, we, I would say that's probably 750 to 800,000 bot. And that go, that'll go a long way. So that I would, I would say that that, that figure could probably feed those children for several months if that's all it went for was the food. So, but Historically, in order to get money to this children's home without having to pay the 7% fees to go through the AG, Cornerstone Church has taken uh, cash money to the, to the home over the years. And so that's what we did again this time. It's just this time I actually, I can say, here's the receipt. Here's, here's, how, you know, here's the actual transaction. So I've not been able to say that before. Did that answer your question, George? Okay. Anybody else? Erica, you have you got a question? I can tell by the way you're looking. No. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. <laughs> lunch. I, I don't remember. I don't remember uh, how much lunch was, but I can tell you dinner. The finest dinner that, that you could imagine uh, for 14 people. Uh, when we, we would feed these, we'd feed these guys been riding bikes all day long. We'd feed them all that they could possibly eat, and it was unbelievable food. $112. dollars $100, $112 all. And, and we're not talking about we're not talking about a buffet. We all went to a buffet tonight. The this like Fourteen of us, fourteen of us went to a buffet. I can tell you, it didn't cost one hundred twelve dollars. <laughs> so um, I would say, I would say on average, um, if I had to guess, the average uh, lunch that we ate maybe two dollars. Is that about right? And I will tell you something: fast food, uh, 
fast food in Thailand is nothing like what t fast food is here in the United States. I can show you some pictures. <laughs> the food was fantastic. So, anything else? All right, we got two minutes, so we're gonna be we're gonna go really quick here. All right, so has anybody heard that we are actually going to Abaco, Bahamas, March Harbor uh, in uh, during spring break? Uh, we are taking a team. The team is actually already formed. Uh, there are 13 of us. There's uh, seven adults and six teenagers that are actually going. Um, I've actually talked. I actually talked to the pastor yesterday down there. Uh, his name is Erlen Blue. He and I have become very good friends over the last uh, couple of years. I, I was there in 2020, and uh, just one of the most humblest people that you could actually uh, imagine. And he is so excited. Uh, nobody's been there since I left. So there's been there's been opportunity for the last year or two since COVID has actually slacked up that you know mission teams could have come in to help his people, but he said nobody's been here. So we're actually going to go, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot that needs to be done there, and uh, we're going to need we have we have the team that's going to go. But we need some finances to help with the projects. I can't tell you what the projects are right now. It, it doesn't really do me any good to tell you how much, uh, you know, you know, this is what we're going to do if I don't know whether or not we can afford it. Um, but I can tell you that if, if um, God has laid the Bahamas on your heart, uh, Marsh Harbor uh, in particular, you can actually go online and through our app and you can actually, there's a, there's a giving section there for uh, Marsh Harbor, Abaco, Bahama. And uh, if you could start giving into that and start praying for that team, start praying for the, the 13 of us that are going, uh, you're going, right? You're going. So her whole family is actually going. Uh, they could have gone to Hawaii for what it's going to cost them to go to the Bahamas, but they decided to go and serve. And that's pretty powerful right there. So if there's, if God lays it on your heart to give into that particular mission, uh, we will be going in. Uh, we are we're gonna we're going in March, and I'm believing that Cornerstone and its people are gonna give upside of forty to fifty thousand dollars to do projects there. 